It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my pack commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network, Sam and Sage, and major breaking news to begin the show. Official press release from the Vikings just came in. It reads as follows. Norv Turner has resigned as offensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. Pat Shermer, who's currently the Titans coach, will assume the duties as interim OC effective immediately. I mean, wow, Sage, there there was a lot of talk about fixing this offense, about adjusting the, the play calling around this patchwork offensive line. And I think there was maybe a, a little cult following on Twitter who was pushing for this, but I never imagined that it would actually happen today. Yeah, I am absolutely shocked uh, at this news. It literally just happened. And uh, I'm not really sure what to say about it. I mean, Norv has been... Uh, one of the great offensive coordinators in the game for the last 30 years. Uh, this Vikings offense doesn't have Adrian Peterson. It doesn't have Matt Khalil. Uh, doesn't have Teddy Bridgewater as a as starting quarterback. Uh, they have been trying to throw something together. They've had good games. They've had bad games. Uh, and we, we've heard no rumblings between Mike Zimmer uh, and Norv Turner in any way. Uh, everyone thought you know things were healthy. The concern generally was the offensive line, and uh, obviously there was there's more to the story than, than meets the eye uh, and meets the ear. We didn't we did not hear anything. At least I didn't hear anything any any rumblings about uh, about concern. So uh, I do know that the system was evolving uh, to better fit Sam Bradford, and Pat Shermer was helping with that. Uh, uh, Bradford had never been. Uh, in a North Turner style offense with the, the number system as far as the route tree and those types of things. And, and they were tagging things a lot to, to make life a little bit easier for their, for their quarterback. Uh, and Shermer was doing that because they have a history together uh, in the West coast offense uh, over in St. Louis. And so uh, very surprising. Uh, I guess all you can really say is, is uh, they're lucky to have somebody else on staff and Pat Shermer, uh, who is an experienced NFL offensive coordinator has a lot has had a lot of success in the past, and obviously Mike Zimmer has decided to go in a different direction. I mean, there was there was already talk that well, maybe Norv is toward the end of his career. Pat Shermer is the understudy; he'll be the next in line. And I think a lot of people presumed that Shermer was already having a lot of input just because of his relationship with Bradford. But this is completely taking the reins away from Turner. And the the only sign that there was ever any disagreement between Zimmer and Turner came late last year in the Arizona game when Zimmer said he disagreed with the play call 
on a, on a pivotal late third down when Teddy Bridgewater got sacked and fumbled and ended the game. But other than that, there's been full support all around and this is mind blowing. And we'll hear more from Mike Zimmer at 11 o'clock. And, you know, this, oddly enough, this coincides with Mike Zimmer not speaking yesterday because of a minor medical procedure. Now this comes up. So we have not heard anything from, from Zimmer since the end of the game on Monday. So now, you know, in, in light of what we know with, with Norv Turner out, Pat Shermer now the OC, uh, it, clearly the Vikings feel like this offense is fixable with a different philosophy. Clearly they think that whatever has ailed them the past two games is a, a correctable result that is more on the coaching than the personnel. And I think uh, a lot of people might find that comical that you can fix this offensive line, but evidently... Mike Zimmer and company believe that's possible. Well, Norv has always had a lot of success uh, as a coordinator. He's known for two things. One, running the football. Uh, where he has been in the past, he has many times had a very good runner, if not a Hall of Fame runner. He's had LaDainian Tomlinson in San Diego, uh, Emma Smith uh, in Dallas, and obviously Adrian Peterson uh, when he first got here. So he's had a really good runner. Uh, I mean, he's had other other good runners as well and other stops he's been to. Uh, well, this year the Vikings don't have a great runner, and that's been a hamper on this offense. So uh, that's a, that's an issue that is not really Norris' fault. And his other thing is he's a vertical passing game guy. He's not a guy who likes to spread the field and dink and dunk and and slowly work his way uh, down the field on on 15 play drives and a lot of you know, five, six, seven-yard completions. He likes to take shots. He likes to go vertical uh, and stretch the defense uh, more vertically than horizontally. Uh, and so the Vikings don't have the offensive line right now uh, to, to stretch a team, uh, you know, north and south. They just don't. And so you know, they just had to go to, as you said, a different philosophy. Pat Shermer from the old West Coast school, from the Andy Reid school, uh, a lot of three-step drops. You're going you're to see a lot of slants. A little five-yard out routes or stick routes, as they call them, by the tight ends and, and slot receivers. You're going to see a lot of shallow crossing routes. Uh, but my guess is you're not going to see as much vertical passing game, uh, and you're not going to see, you know, hopefully, not see Sam Bradford get hit so many times in the pocket. So when you think back to what you watched on Monday with the lackluster offense, what stands out, I guess, in retrospect that that may have led to this decision what type of play calling did you see the vikings trying uh, my guess is just that just seeing sam bradford get hit as much as he got hit and even though the offensive line is really the main one to be blamed for that uh my guess is that mike zimmer uh believes uh, and and who knows maybe maybe norv turner wanted to resign maybe he had had enough uh, you, you never know how the um situations are inside uh, a coach's office or a locker room or whatever, and they've kept this thing fairly quiet. And so uh, I think they just saw Sam Bradford get hit too many times in that ball game, and uh, and obviously they weren't producing any yards against the Bears' defense that just wasn't very good. Now, when the Vikings let go of Jeff Davidson, the offensive line coach, last year, they weren't exactly gracious in his departure, but I, I feel like with Norv, a guy who is so revered in NFL circles that they're going to approach this thing with the utmost respect because if Norv wants to have a career beyond this in the NFL, I, I doubt the Vikings are going to, you know, harpoon his career and throw him under the bus. This is probably going to be a very amicable press conference, wouldn't you say? 
Oh, yeah, I would think so. I mean, North uh, is well-respected around the league, and, and obviously he's got a lot of friends, a lot of coaching staffs. If, if he chooses to continue coaching, which I'm not sure if he's going to do that, I sort of believe that he might be done. He's, he's been there and done it. He's made as much money as he needs to make. Uh, his son now is the quarterback's coach, so that's an unusual uh, circumstance. But And I know he always wanted to get his son into the NFL, and and he has worked his way up to being an NFL quarterback coach. So, uh, if anything, if he is done, I'd like to say congratulations to Norv Turner. I mean, I, I, I played for him for two years, 2002, 2003 in Miami. Learned so much from him, uh, probably as much as almost anybody else I played for. I have so much re uh, uh, respect for Norv, and, and I'm sorry to see him go. Uh, I know a lot of, a lot of people who, who love him, a lot of quarterbacks, uh, uh, this is not a happy day for them. Uh, the great Paul Allen is going to be extremely disappointed. That's like Paul's favorite uh, coach with old Uncle Norv telling stories. And, and uh, But, you know, the Vikings have decided to move on. Somebody else, I'm sure they'll treat him with a lot of respect. I don't think there's going to be uh, any bad blood in this situation. My guess is things weren't going well for this offense, and, and Mike Zimmer had had enough, and he probably decided that, uh, over the years of going against Pat Shermer-style uh, offenses, that that type of offense might be better suited for this Vikings team than a North Turner offense. And, and let's assume then that this was not Turner's decision. Do you think this comes solely from Zimmer? Do you think Spielman has input? Do you think the ownership has input? I don't know. That, that, that is a very good question. I don't think Spielman would have input. I mean, as I said, him, he and North have gone back, uh, you know, to the to early 2000s, if not possibly earlier, somewhere else uh, down there, down there in Miami. So uh, Rick usually does not meddle in, in those types of things. Uh, he usually lets coaches do those. He he doesn't like making those types of decisions. He he's a talent guy. He's one who goes out and looks for talent and and tries to you know read up guys on contracts or deal with those types of situations. That's his expertise. So it may have come from the ownership. I doubt it. I think this was Mike Zimmer's decision. Uh, I think he was unhappy with the offense, unhappy uh, with the lack of production uh, the last few weeks, or really the entire season. I mean, for the most part, the offense hasn't played great. They've only had one or two good ball games this season. And uh, for the most part, the Vikings defense has built that, built that offense out week in and week out. Incredible stuff out of Winter Park, and we'll have more information in the coming hours. Sage and I also discussed plenty of other Vikings talkers prior to this news breaking. We'll get into that now. Sam Ekstrom and Sage Ozenfels on Lockdown Vikings. Obviously, the offensive line, the number one deficiency, it seems, at this point. Uh, from your trained eye, how do you fix an issue like this that, that really begins in the trenches? Can the Vikings fix this problem? Well, I can't fix it, you know, this year, really. Uh, you know, you could put some Band-Aids on it, and, and they can do some things like leaving the running backs more or leaving Kyle Rudolph or Red Ellison uh, more often or have them chip on their way out, which now they're not a threat in the passing game. I mean, that's, that's really all they can do. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys about four or five years ago had a bad offensive line like this, had a good team but a bad offensive line, and they – went into the draft and they started drafting guys in the high rounds year after year. And now they have the best offensive line in football. They, they realize that the offensive line is, is really at that point, the most important part of the offense that Tony Romo wasn't going to last very long. If that offensive line uh, wasn't stronger. So there's not much they can do this year. Uh, they have to figure out ways to probably go to a lot of three-step drops or wide receiver screens, but 
Every time that uh, Sam Bradford goes back in the pocket and takes more than two hitches, he's getting hit or he's getting sacked. And uh, there's not a lot of time back there. And he's also not a quarterback that creates. Um, he, he might be one of the uh, worst uh, quarterbacks. You know, guys like Aaron Rodgers or, or Russell Wilson, um, guys that, you know, even Jay Cutler in the game the other night, guys that can buy time and create. Uh, Sam Bradford just cannot do that. He's not not that type of athlete. He's a really good thrower, but he is not a guy that can can, can buy time and, and make things happen when the pocket breaks down. We, we've seen that time and time again this year. Well, it seems like he's got that internal clock, and it's counting a little bit faster. You know, early in the season, he's hanging on to the ball in there and, and getting through his reads, and now he's sort of ducking away from the – the, the thought of pressure because he just feels it off those edges. Is that a real problem for a quarterback to get that clock moving faster than it should be? Well, that's what happens is uh, as the line gets worse and worse, the quarterback starts to, you know, that ball becomes a hot potato in your hand. You just want to get it out of your hand as quickly as possible and sort of who wants it, you know, and, and uh, it does seem like his internal clock is speeding up and, uh, but also, it seems like his his time is getting worse and worse. It seems like almost every game, at least the last few games, and so it's it's a legitimate problem. It's something we talked about before the first game of the year as the weakness of this football team, and uh, it seemed like they could, they sort of hit it uh, for the first five games as their defense played really well. Uh, they had the lead, which means they they could run the ball and they could you know keep the defense off balance. But when you're behind and the team knows you're going to throw. Uh, this Vikings offensive line and this Vikings offense seems like it almost has no chance. Just goes to show that as an organization, even with free agency, even with all the players you acquire in the draft, you almost have to uh, rob Peter to pay Paul in a way when you choose which areas to strengthen. And the Vikings definitely went all in on the defense in the early stages of the Mike Zimmer era. They go after Waynes, they go after Barr, they bring in Kendricks. They sign a guy like Terrence Newman. They draft Shamar Steffen. They sign Linval Joseph. And uh, the offensive line, which seemed solidified when Zimmer came just because it had veterans, uh, now those veterans, many of their careers were cut short or uh, they got hurt. And now the Vikings, without having strengthened that position group, find themselves in a bind. But I'm not sure it's Rick Spielman's fault. I think he's created an incredible defense it's just sort of the nature of personnel development in this league, isn't it? It is, and in a lot of a lot of ways. You know, I've known Rick Spielman since 2002 when uh, he traded for me down at the Miami Dolphins, and I I was previously up in Washington. When I got to that team, uh, it was a very veteran, older offensive line on their last legs. Um, and, you know, Dave Wanstead was the head coach, but that defense on that team was phenomenal. We had seven pro bowlers on defense. We had Ricky Williams uh, on offense who ran for over 1,800 yards. So we had this sort of crafty offensive line. Uh, uh, Dave Wanstead, the head coach, he had a lot of control, even though Rick Spielman was the GM. Wanstead had a lot of control as far as who they drafted. And we, we continued to trap, draft guys on defense, uh, even though we needed – offensive players uh, you know, very badly, in particular offensive line. And, and once those older guys uh, retired or, or let go, uh, we had a bunch of young guys behind them, guys that were drafted in the middle to late rounds, and our offensive line really struggled. And that was one of the reasons that 
Ricky Williams uh, retired uh, a couple years later. So uh, it's, it's a, it, this has happened again uh, w- with Rick, and, and uh, I'm not saying that he, he caused this, but this defense was so bad. Uh, a couple of years ago at the end of the Leslie Frazier era, you know, ranking near the bottom of the NFL in a lot of categories that they had to get that, uh, you know, they had to get talent back on this defense. And obviously that's Zimmer's strength. And so not only do they draft guys, but uh, they did a really good job of, of building players, developing players uh, that weren't highly drafted. Uh, I think Zimmer's phenomenal at that. So uh, obviously they, they've spent a lot of uh, time and money and, and effort on the defense and, the offense, at least the offensive line, hasn't been a little bit overlooked uh, for whatever reason, and uh, it's really showing the last couple games. Oh, and the gambles that Spielman took on late-round offensive linemen the past few years have not paid off, and, and sometimes you just need to hit on some of those guys late. I mean, uh, Tyrus Thompson, the guy they took out of Oklahoma last year, he didn't even make the team. T.J. Clemmings thus far has been uh, extremely lackluster David Yankee 2014 fifth round who was supposed to be great out of Stanford he's no longer on the team so the past three years there have been just a number of late round busts I guess you could say that just haven't panned out for the Vikings and given them some of that depth that they got at other positions with uh with late round picks like Edmund Robinson or Shamar Steffen guys who've actually been able to step in J. Ron Curse another example who played a little bit on Monday. Did you see the the controversial Jamie Collins trade a couple days ago? And what do you make of it? Well, you know, in New England, uh, they rarely uh, make a mistake when they because they've done things like this before. They've gotten rid of players who you, everyone thought, well, he's still in his prime or he still has good years left. And they've gotten rid of Randy Moss and Wes Welker and, and lots of other guys. And and uh, you know, people are, are surprised by it, but I'm not. Uh, Bill Belichick goes after value every single time. He wants to get a discount or a good deal every time. He's not going to overpay. A lot of teams decide they have to overpay occasionally for a player. He refuses to do that. And they offered Jamie Collins $10 million a year. He was hoping for $12 million a year. They weren't going to go up to $12 million a year. It was obviously both sides are sort of stuck uh, on their numbers. And I think Belichick probably took it as a bit of a slap in the face. Like, listen, you're going to play for one of the, the, the most consistent, best NFL franchise. What's the difference between 10 and $12 million? You should be happy you're here. Uh, we'll win without you. Uh, he's done it before uh, with the other guys that he's always let go. So, um, obviously, at the end of the season, he was going to be a free agent. They decided to get some compensation for him. So, uh, inside, let him go. There might have been other things. There might have been personal things involved in that. I mean, he got sent to the worst team in football. He went from the best to the worst uh, to the Cleveland Browns. And so, uh, it's one thing you sort of know is to not uh, get on Belichick's uh, bad side and always go out there and try to create more value and try to. You know, most players play uh, as if they're worth more than they're actually getting in New England. That's just the way it is. And I, and I think Belichick also understands at the end of the day. Uh, he has Tom Brady, and he's going to win uh, 12 or 13 games this year because he has Tom Brady, and he doesn't need Jamie Collins. Even though he's a good player, he doesn't need him, uh, who seems to be out of uh, position occasionally uh, to, to win a Super Bowl this year. Well, and watch them use that compensatory third-round pick to go draft the next 
Randy Moss or draft the next Adrian Peterson or pick up some, you know, 10 year offensive tackle. I mean, they'll, they'll do it too, just because it's new England. Well, they, they are, new England is like a machine. Um, they don't think any part other than probably the quarterback is really that uh, significant. I think they understand having great players, but they are all about their system more than any other team in the league. I mean, if you look at their wide receivers, they've got a great wide receiving core, and they're a bunch of nobodies for the most part. I mean, Julian Edelman played quarterback in college at Kent State. You got this Hogan kid. I don't even know where he came from. Obviously, you got the Gronk, um, uh, but uh, you know the running backs. You've got uh, a bunch of a bunch of guys who were let go by other teams or low, lower drafted. I mean. They don't pay running backs anything up there. No one's making millions and millions of dollars of that position. They just think that you put in a guy, you go out there, you, the, the offensive line is the strength of that team. The offensive line coach is phenomenal. I think probably the best in the NFL. So they're all about just bringing in certain parts that match, and they don't have to be the best players in the league. Uh, they just have to do their job and, and, and be fundamentally sound. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst. It's Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network, Sam and Sage. We've also got Locked On NFL on the network with Matt Williamson, a look at the entire league, and Locked On Fantasy with Vinny Iyer. Also check out Locked On Lions to get ready for this week's Week 9 battle at U.S. Bank Stadium. So the defensive side of the football actually got exposed a bit as well on Monday. It seemed like Chicago out-schemed the Vikings defense, which is a really strange thing to consider. But to me, it looked like the Bears had the correct play called against almost every blitz. They did a great job of, uh, Cutler did a great job of facing pressure and always having an outlet. And as you mentioned, he improvised nicely. That was a very bizarre game to watch with Mike Zimmer actually getting outwitted a couple times, I thought. Well, yeah, they did. They did have a good game plan, and I think they stole a few things off of the the, uh, the Philadelphia game plan. Uh, you know, teams. What what's scary about this Vikings defense? They play so much. They play. They're so good at playing man-to-man coverage, and uh, they're good at getting the pass rush. So you don't have easy throws in in the football game. But uh, they've been doing. A, teams have been doing a lot of three-step drops, getting the ball out. Uh, and Cutler is one of those guys that can buy time in the pocket and can make things happen. And and he played really well in that football game. I, I like to give him a hard time. I'm not a huge fan, but got to give him props when he plays well. He played very well in the game, probably one of the best games he's played in the last couple of years. And when this Vikings defense doesn't get a turnover, uh, which is what they got those first you know five games when they were winning, they got a lot of turnovers and they were scoring touchdowns off of those turnovers. But when they don't get them and they get behind, their weakness has been uh, stopping the run, and the Bears did a really nice job of of having good, solid runs and getting some movement. And I really like that running back uh, out of Indiana. He's going to be a really good player. I think he's going to play for a long time in, in the NFL as well. He's just built that way. But uh, they, you know, the, the the Vikings could not, you know, get turnovers and and do those types of things and create the havoc. And when they're behind and they're having to stop the run, they can't rush the passer. So the key to this Vikings. Uh, team uh, this year for the rest of the year 
They've got to get ahead. They've got to get up by a touchdown or two touchdowns or, or even 10 points and, and force the other team to be throwing the ball a little bit more than running the ball uh, so those pass rushers can, can get to the quarterback and, and create havoc. Yeah, strangely, that double-A gap has just not been getting home as much of late, just one sack in the last two games. And, and one guy on defense that, to my eye, seems to be declining even more is Chad Greenway. And now I know he doesn't play that many reps. I think a few games back, he only played two snaps. And uh, against Philadelphia, he was probably 15 to 20. But when he's forced to pursue or, uh, or chase a guy down, he doesn't have the speed that he once did. To me, it feels like a bit of a liability in the run game. Well, Chad's never been, uh, not that he's been a bad run game guy, but his strength has always been his athletic ability and his ability to, to cover tight ends and to cover running backs one-on-one. I mean, he's a very athletic guy. He actually played quarterback uh, when he went out of high school and when he went to the University of Iowa. So he's never been that uh, you know run stopper in the middle who comes up and plugs a hole. That has not been his style. So has always generally played to the side of the three technique, which means he's a little bit more covered up than the other side, which you're, you're facing the nose tackle. There's a bigger hole there that you have to plug. Uh, so his weakness has been the, the run game in the past, and, and uh, it's showing a little bit more in these last couple of ball games just because uh, teams have been run the ball a heck of a lot more. Great point. Uh, Chad Greenway, I mean, still – I mean, he's still playing at a, at a relatively high level considering his age, and clearly the Vikings feel comfortable with him because they're not playing guys like Emmanuel Lemur. They're not playing Adi Cole. They're not playing Edmund Robinson. So clearly they feel like he gives them the best chance in that base package, probably because of his communication and his IQ. He is a, a great guy to have out there to direct traffic, get guys in the right spot, and they can trust that he knows exactly what is happening within the system because he's been there for three years. Yeah. Well, Chad can still play uh, and, and he may not be as good as he used to be, but uh, he can still play. He can still run the football. Uh, he can still make things happen. And, and, but when you're talking about trying to stop a 235, 240 pound running back in the hole, uh, that that's not what he's going to be great at. And, but uh, he's going to compete and he's going to have great leadership out there and, and get the guys help get the guys all lined up and, and uh, he's going to do an excellent job in the passing game. So I still think Chad has a lot left in the tank, actually. But he just doesn't match up very well against teams that really run downhill. Uh, and the offensive line's getting a lot of push. Vikings against Lions noon on Sunday. Crazy, but if Detroit had beaten Houston last Sunday, they'd be just half a game back in the division after a 1-3 and three start. As it is, they're a game and a half back. Let's get your first thoughts on Detroit and then we will dive into it more on Friday. But your knee-jerk reaction on the Lions? Well, I watched a lot of that game uh, this last weekend, and uh, I really like what Matt Stafford's doing this year. He is playing really, really good football. Um, if it wasn't Detroit and their team was a little bit better and he was in a bigger market, people would be including him in this uh, MVP type of conversation. He is playing excellent football. Uh, he has moved on very easily without Megatron. Uh, their offensive line does a pretty good job of protecting him. I like their tight end. Uh, is an Ebron that, that, that they use, and uh, they've got some, some skill position players. Their defense is playing much better than it has in the past. So I think you know this NFC North is completely up for grabs. It's a, it's a three-team race. I think the Bears will be out of it, but this is a three-team race, and it's, it's a long ways to go, and the Vikings have to win 
these uh, interdivision games to to win the uh, win the division, and uh, they, they count really as almost a one and a half wins, uh, or even a two two wins when you win these games. And so this is a very very big game uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. So what's the nerve level at for Game Seven tonight? Scale of one to ten, are, are you shaking? Well. I stayed up. I, I I could not sleep last night after that win. I I was awake until about one o'clock in the morning. I think I was still sort of riled up. But uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I'm not nervous about Chapman pitching too much. I think that if if the Cubs are are up by a run or two runs at the end of the game, I don't think having him pitched so much this World Series is a problem. Uh, I wish the Cubs had uh, Arietta or or, uh, or one of the other guys starting tonight, but. Uh, Hendricks isn't bad, so we will see. It, it should be a great game, I'm sure. And, and one of the we will know in the next uh, well, in about 13 or 14 hours, some city is going to have uh, some riot police out, and there's going to be a serious <laughs> party going on, and possibly even a few turned over cars. You know, who knows? Yep. So it, it's it's going to be exciting for either city. Obviously, I'm rooting for my Cubs. How uh, perfectly symmetrical that the Cleveland Cavaliers would come back from three to one down. You know, against the league's best team, they would break the Cleveland curse. And then how karmic would it be then for the Cubs to reverse the tables on Cleveland and also come back from 3-1 and do it on the road? That would just be uh, stunning. Yeah, it would be like putting Cleveland back in their place where they're supposed to be right. a team that always seems to choke and lose. I mean, they uh, they were also, this is back in uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, they lost to the, uh, the Red Sox. They were up 3-1 to one as well, the Indians. And, and uh, the Red Sox came back and, and won that series in the early 2000s, I believe. And, yeah, it's, it's sort of a turn of the tables. I guess the coin has been flipped. Uh, now the, the Cubbies are all tied up. But, you know, we will see. It seems like the Cubs have a game where they score six or seven runs. And then the next game they score zero and they get two hits. Uh, they seem like they've done that almost throughout the entire playoffs, completely hot or completely cold. It's a very young baseball team, but, man, that was a, they played really well last night and, and obviously hit, finally got those bats going and got some hits and got some runs. Well, they just got to knock Kluber around early and try to get to that Cleveland bullpen, and then anything's possible. I, I'm hoping, just as a neutral fan, I'm hoping for like a low-scoring 3-2 to two game. I, I want the utmost intensity tonight in Game 7. I think that's pretty much what America's rooting for, and I'm sure that's what Fox is rooting for as well from a rating standpoint. It's going to be great. Well, yeah, speaking of ratings, I mean, uh, you know, as of last night and tonight, uh, there's really not much else on other than, uh, you know, some, some Mac college football or, or whatever. And so, you know, Major League Baseball has obviously taken a hit. It's well behind the NFL. Uh, it's been behind the NBA and their ratings, uh, and they couldn't have asked for a better situation. You've got, you know, Game 7 of uh, two teams that haven't won it in, in a long, long time. And they're not going against uh, even a Thursday night football game in the NFL or a Sunday night NFL game. They're not going against a presidential debate. Uh, they're not going against a, a major college football game. There's nothing significant on TV tonight. So uh, the, the ratings should be very good for baseball. And I think that's, that is good. I, I Playoff baseball is a lot of fun to watch. And, and as I, I, hopefully the game's close. So that, that would be nice for, for a lot of people, for a lot of fans. But, shoot, last night the Cubs were up 7-2. to two. And I think everyone was just as nervous as if, as if, as if they were up 2-1. to one. Well, we'll get your reaction to the game, whatever the result, on Friday morning on Locked on Vikings. 
The A topic today, Norv Turner resigning as Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator. The report from Winter Park coming in less than 45 minutes, and we'll have more from that tomorrow on Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.